0: Hi, this is Coach Sherry, and I'm the host of the TeenWise podcast. I'm having conversations with teens fueled by curiosity and compassion. As a teen life coach, parent educator, and mom to three, I've learned that hearing straight from teens is the best way to truly understand the world they live in and the struggles they face. Listen in to find out more. In today's episode, we are talking about sexual assault. It's a heavy topic and needs to be talked about on high school campuses across the country. We can't sweep it under the rug anymore. We need to address toxic masculinity, rape culture, and we need to take a long, hard look at how we handle the situation when survivors of sexual abuse report what happened. The Me Too movement pointed us in the right direction, but now we need to walk down that path and make some serious changes. And if we start with our kids, we can really make a long-lasting difference. So tune in to see how we can get started. Thanks to all of you for agreeing to be part of this discussion today about a very intense and emotional topic. But before we get started, I'd like to invite each of you to introduce yourself and just tell us something that brings you joy. Ashlyn, let's start with you.
1: My name is Ashlyn. I will be a senior next year. And uh, taking my dog to the dog park brings me joy.
0: Oh, yeah. And it's open again, right? So you can actually go. Yeah. Excellent. Isabel?
2: Uh, my name is Isabel, and I will be a senior next year. One thing that brings me joy is reading outside in the sun.
0: And right now it's like the perfect weather for that, isn't it? And Jackie, how about you?
2: My name
3: is Jackie. I'm going to be a senior next year. And something that brings me joy is hanging out with my
0: dogs. All right, and Nathan, how about you?
4: I'm Nathan. And something that brings me joy is doing dance choreographies.
0: Okay, so we've got an intense topic we're talking about. And it's amazing that all of you are willing to kind of jump on and be vulnerable and talk about this. But it's something that we're kind of sweeping under the rug in our communities especially in high school. So um, let's really dive in and start start talking about this stuff. So Ashlyn, I'd love to start with you. You started a chapter of an organization here called SAFER. What does that stand for, and why was this something that you felt was needed in our community?
1: I founded SAFER in April of 2019. We're called Students Advocating for Ending Rape. It started after I became aware that I was ignorant about the rape culture in my community and that I wanted to educate myself. And then that kind of developed into a passion for trying to educate others about rape culture.
0: And it's important that you learn this stuff in middle school and high school, then you're more aware and you're able to create awareness in the community around you. So you mentioned rape culture, and that's a word that I hear thrown around a lot, that for the older generations, you didn't hear anything about that. So rape culture, what does that exactly mean? How does it affect us? And how does it eventually culminate into these sexual assaults?
1: I think when, when I talk about rape culture, then I talk about the different facets of um, either social stigmas or just behaviors that can make rape more likely and, and then in the end make it harder for the survivor to,
0: to cope with the rape incident. So I'd love to hear from all of you some examples of rape culture.
4: I think one very prominent example of rape culture is victim blaming. And it's something that I see very often because it basically reduces something that's super serious and detrimental to a dismissal or like kind of a joke even sometimes. And so I think by taking these really serious, complex issues and then treating them as if they don't exist, that really hurts rape victims and enables that rape culture.
0: So the victim blaming is one key thing that you mentioned there in the high schools, What does it look like and sound like, um, this victim blaming?
4: Yeah, it's just kind of like offhanded remarks like, oh, she's asking for it. Or just like derogatory comments that paint rape victims as just like one type of person when really it can happen to anyone. So I think just simplifying this issue into something that's really harmful and detrimental is also part of rape culture, is that oversimplification?
1: In addition, I would say that the ignorance in terms of acquaintance rape is also one of the main factors behind victim blaming because I think there's this social stigma that acquaintance rape isn't real rape and that that stranger rape is the only true type of rape. And we've talked about this um, at Safer with some examples but I think it's important to realize that acquaintance rape makes up 80% of all rapes and that once you kind of accept that acquaintance rape is is valid, then I think it can help reduce those those phrases of victim blaming that are prevalent.
0: Has anybody seen that, that acquaintance rape, people just dismiss it because, oh, well, you knew that person, how would they do that? Um, I think
2: that with Um, acquaintance rape, I think that it's even more prominent just because, especially at school, like knowing somebody who did that to someone else, you don't really expect that from certain people or you wouldn't like assume that that somebody would do that. So it makes it harder for a victim to really express their like emotions about their like to tell their story because people have like a positive um, idea of the person
0: yeah they know both people in the situation, unlike if it was a, a someone who was raped by an outsider, someone who was maybe in their twenties and completely unknown to the community, they might rally around them versus, well, we know this guy he 's in our class
1: I think that also connects to the just world hypothesis, which says that that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people, mm-hmm. with what Isabel was saying about how um you might not accept that somebody that you know could be a rapist. I think there's the idea that bad people do bad things and good people do good things. And so I think that can kind of um, play into the denialism that goes into not not accepting mm-hmm. that anyone can be a rapist.
0: Especially with a tight-knit community like some of you belong to, it's just you can't fathom that somebody you know you've been going to school with maybe 10 years would do something like this. Okay, so kind of to me, in my mind, a precursor to rape culture or something that contributes to it is toxic masculinity. It's a word just like rape culture that we hear a lot these days. I don't want to say it's a new thing. It's existed for a long time, but it's kind of a new word and a new awareness in our culture. So how do you think this contributes to rape culture?
4: Well, I think a huge part about toxic masculinity is like, the pressure or expectations placed on men to like prove their masculinity to society and this takes on many different forms like you're not a man if you haven't had sex yet or you're not a man if you haven't done this and I think that these pressures can be really harmful and compel people to do things that they wouldn't do and so in a sense I think it's kind of that peer pressure and toxic masculinity that culture of like conformity and conforming to that one image of who a man should be that is a key contributor of this rape culture. Mm
1: -hmm. I think one thing that we should take into account is that um, in order to to prevent toxic masculinity from being so pervasive I think it's important to to realize that toxic masculinity hurts everyone and so we see the effects on both sides because there can be a group of men that, that display tox- like toxic masculinity traits, but then some men are hurt by it and, and women are hurt by it too. And so I think if we realize that, then we can sh- kind of shift the culture so that it's not as prevalent and powerful, especially with the youth.
0: And Nathan, um, from your experience like in middle school, what did you come up against with all of this?
4: In middle school, I was actually like bullied quite a bit for not being masculine enough. I wasn't very like typically like, I would say manly according to like society's definitions. Mm -hmm. I was interested in things that not a lot of guys are interested in. Um, I wasn't interested in sports. I didn't display the typical like macho behaviors or that like sense of control. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just liked following along and for that I was really targeted by some people because of my like personality and just like my preferences. I've read like a lot of stories of people who have been essentially like physically abused by other people in their grade because they fail to fit with these social norms. They fail to display what stereotypical image of A middle school guy is. And so a lot of times that kind of sense of control and power over others is what tells these people who display traits of toxic masculinity that it's okay to take advantage of these people if they don't retaliate or if they don't fight back or if they're too scared to tell someone about it. Because I certainly was very scared. And I can definitely see how rape victims would feel kind of scared or like stigmatized when revealing their experience and so kind of just that abuse of power and manipulation that starts pretty early on is what could contribute to this rape culture later on
0: right so that bullying you mentioned like having that control really is kind of increasing their toxic masculinity so they're going to target the people that it's easy to kind of show their their strength above these and take control of them Did any of you in middle school have people ask you to send nudes or did they send you nudes unsolicited or even now in high school?
3: For me, I think the first time that a guy asked me to send nudes was when I was in seventh grade. Mm -hmm. And when I wouldn't send them, he called me like a bitch or like stuff like that. And it's carried on through high school till now. And a lot of the time like guys will send nudes without like saying anything first and then you know it's like you don't want to open a snapchat and see that i think it happens a lot to guys and girls
2: that has happened to me a lot throughout the years i think also just like jackie the same like age i think 13 and 14 and at that time we're really young and obviously I was not even aware what that was so young so I think that just it shapes you I guess just being being like so exposed to that kind of language and being called like a tease or like slut or things that like you're obviously just for not for not even sending anything you're being called these words. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then I also hear like when girls do, you know, give those pictures over, then people start passing them around and talking about them. I mean, you don't really win either way. It's a really bad situation that this is going on. So let's talk about reporting sexual assault, because I think that this is something that really always disheartens me when I hear the stories of young girls who are sexually assaulted, having the bravery to come forward. And, you know, we expect people to rally around them and support them, but it doesn't necessarily go like that, especially if we're looking at the stories that are in the news. So when a girl does report sexual assault, like what is the typical reaction in the teen community?
1: I think an initial question um, or thought that, that can go through someone's head when they hear that someone has been, has been raped or sexually assaulted is whether that person will, will take it to the court. And one thing that I've learned where I had to kind of um, confront my own ignorance and learn from my mistakes was that you can't, it's a form of victim blaming to ask the survivor if they're going to take it to court and to kind of pressure them to do that because everyone has their own reasons for reporting or not reporting,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and I think we need to
0: value everyone's decision. Right. So be there to support them no matter what their decision is, You know, to take it to the courts or not. And I think that's a good thing for parents to think about. If, they, if their daughter or their son comes to them and says, I was sexually assaulted, to not automatically jump in with, we're going to report this, we're going to take them to court, Like to really figure out what your child needs.
2: I completely agree with you. I think one of the big things is also like when somebody shares their story, I think another thing is like being asked like what happened, like especially like right away, like that's the first question. And I think that it might sound like that's like a reasonable question to ask, but also knowing that that is a very triggering thing for survivors, they kind of like relive it in their mind. And so I think being careful of like, what you said with the parents, them being aware of like the mental health and like knowing how they are feeling at that moment, how vulnerable they are for sharing their story and not going to making sure that they're okay before possibly going um, to court if they want to.
0: So what should be the first question? If someone comes and tells their parents, I was sexually assaulted, what's the very first thing that the parents should do?
1: I think well, the most important thing is for the parent to just believe their child and to not question why their child is coming to them with this information and to basically just be the, be the figure that the, that the child needs them to be in that moment.
0: Just the supporter and the listener and being there, just really being there, not trying to fix it, just be there for them. Um, A while ago I did a research report on um, people who had been sexually abused and looking into why do some people come out of it like seemingly unscathed and stronger versus the people who it really kind of destroyed their life. And the bottom line was that they were believed when they reported it, that they had people when they went to them and said, this is happening, that they didn't question them, that they said, okay, I'm here for you. And we're going to get you through this. So I imagine it's the same thing in this situation. So um, when a girl or boy goes through sexual assault. What, from what you understand or what you've experienced, what are the feelings that first come up?
3: I think for me, after I was assaulted, at first I was just really scared and I didn't know like who I could trust because my rapist went to my school with me. So I didn't know if I could go to the school and trust them to protect me and I didn't know like what kids in my grade I could trust and so I felt really alone and then when I did end up going to the school like they didn't do a very good job in like protecting me or like making sure I was okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: So I think it's mostly just feeling scared and like alone
0: and when you went to the school, what was their reaction? Like, did they support you at all? I went to
3: tell my vice principal and she told me that she would, like, support me and, like, treat me like she was my own kid and, like, keep me safe. Mm-hmm. And then... um She didn't really do it, and neither did the school. They kind of protected more of my rapist and, like, his friends in the situation, and they were supposed to make, like, a safety plan for me and, like, allow me to, like, go to the office whenever I wanted to, like, get away from it because I had some of the kids in my classes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I would go to the office, and then they'd, like, get mad at me and tell me to go to class and stuff, so I ended up leaving the school. Mm-hmm. a few months after so I think that the schools especially like from what I've seen and from what I've heard from people like around the plateau need to like find a better way to protect victims and mm-hmm. like make better plans for
0: it so you mentioned that they were protecting the rapists more than you what were they doing because to me if they're doing that that's directly making you feel more unsafe
3: Yeah, so I had a couple times where my rapist, like, came. He wasn't supposed to get, like, near me. He signed, like, a no-contact agreement, I think, where he was supposed to stay, like, five feet away from me at all times. And, like, he wasn't allowed to talk to me or look at me or his friends weren't allowed to talk to me. But there were a couple times where, like, at lunch or in the hallway, he would come up to me and, like, scream in my face Or um, his friends would like purposely talk about me like really loud while I was around. Mm
0: -hmm. And
3: I would bring like my experiences to the principal and she'd say, oh yeah, like we'll take care of it. And then he would never get in trouble. He never got like suspended or detention or anything. Mm -hmm. And so they just didn't really do what they said they would do. And my last day that I went there, it wasn't supposed to be my last day, but when I was at lunch, or in the hallway, I think, two of his friends who had threatened me with, like, violence because they were mad that I reported it. Mm -hmm. They didn't go to my school, but they were at my school with backpacks, and they were just standing in the hallway looking at me, and I felt really unsafe because they had, like, told me that they were going to hurt my family and stuff. Mm -hmm. so I went straight to the security guard to tell him that like these people who don't go to my school were there and him and the resource officer escorted them off campus and then my rapist like came up to me in the hallway right before lunch and he was screaming in my face because I got them kicked out and Mm -hmm. so I went to my principal and I was like I told her about it and she was like okay like we'll take care of it and then I called my mom and she was like no like (laughs) you're not going back there that was my last day there and then from what I heard from my friends and the principal they never did anything about it they didn't get in trouble he didn't get in trouble for, for anything like that
0: and what was like for you obviously having to face him and his friends at school was probably torturous but with the other like your peer group how were they towards you did you feel like they were supportive at all
3: Well, at first I had a pretty good group of friends, but a lot of them were also friends with him. So after like, I think the first week after people started finding out, I started noticing that the people who I thought were my friends were not, and they were more supportive of him. And after I told my principal, like, she was a mandated reporter, so she had to tell the police, So then once it started going to the police, we were going to civil court to get a restraining order and a sexual assault protection order. And, you know, some of the parents of the kids who were at the party when I was assaulted were calling each other and like threatening each other and saying that like my mom was going to sue them all if, if he was found guilty so I lost a lot of friends after that mm-hmm. and I only talked to like two or three of the girls who I was with around that time still so mm-hmm. it wasn't a very supportive community.
0: I'm really sorry to hear that. And this is one reason I want to talk about this on this episode is because people need to really think about how they're supporting people. You know, we can talk about it all day and, you know, with the Me Too movement that that happened, but when it really comes up in our community, what are we doing to stand up for the reporters? Uh, One of the things I've heard is when these um, cases go to court, that they say the worst people to have on the jury are women. I'm wondering if you're seeing in the high school level if some of the girls were some of the harsher critics.
3: I think for me, yeah, a lot of the girls were, some of them, like, said worse stuff than the guys did, and I think it kind of, like, hurt more when I heard stuff that girls said because, I mean, I thought they were, like, they were there to support me and stuff, and when I did go to civil court to get a protection order my rapist lawyer was a woman and she like the entire time that she was questioning me she was just like blaming me or saying that i was just embarrassed that i was 14 and had sex and i was lying and it was just like i feel like if i had heard it from a man it wouldn't have hurt as bad as it did right right from when i heard it from a woman
0: so for the rest of you From what Jackie said about, you know, the girls turning against her and the principal not being there, have you heard of any of this in your own communities?
2: In my situation, um, I've had, like, that, like, similar situation happen to me where I've lost a lot of friends because just, like, because of of my rapist. The one thing that my friends were not really aware of when it happened was, I guess, just, like, the trigger words or the trigger, like, I guess I call them trigger words, but like, just like places where now to this day, I, I just can't walk by. Like there's mm-hmm. a woods by my house where it happened that I, I, to this day, I'd like always find another place to go.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think
2: I've lost a lot of friends just because they think that I'm too emotional or that I need to suck it up because I'm not like strong enough. Mm-hmm. so I think that's something that happens a lot in our community.
0: Yeah, and that's tough. It's not something that you just forget and um definitely not overnight. I mean, you learn to manage and process through it. The people around you need to support you through those emotions which may come out of nowhere from like you said a trigger, sight or a trigger word, just something that brings it up emotionally for you. We just have to be mindful as supporters of um that's going to happen and no judgment. So, um what about the adults in the community? You've mentioned it briefly, but So the teens, I get there's all these weird dynamics, right? And especially when both parties are in the same school. But the adults, we have wisdom, right? We're supposed to be the ones who are taking care of our teens. How do they factor into the community response?
3: I think for me, I was really shocked at how the adults responded, whether it was like the people who were involved parents or the teachers or principals at my school a lot of them just weren't supportive and they were quick to say that like I was lying for attention or that he could have never done that and I think that only a few of my like friends parents and like maybe one or two of the teachers at my school at the time were really like actually supportive besides like my own parents. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, I think that it's not a good thing, and that it was surprising for me to see.
0: In your assault, Jackie, didn't it happen right around the time of Me Too?
3: Yeah, it was like around the time, or like right after was when like the Me Too stuff started getting big.
0: So, when that started getting big, did you feel like, oh my gosh, okay, now I'm going to be supported? I hoped,
3: but it wasn't really, nothing really changed for me.
0: Yeah, and I think that's something important. Like Me Too sounds very empowering, but did it really change anything? We have to ask ourselves, what, what changed because of that? And not just for our teens, but as adults, did we make any changes in our behavior to support this movement and let our kids know we're going to support you through this if it happens and it is absolutely unacceptable?
1: We've talked a lot about how uh, most adults are unresponsive in this discussion. If most adults are unresponsive or they don't, they don't know how to handle being confided in with this situation, then I think that just shows that that the education um, piece of, of teaching our youth now, our middle schoolers and our high schoolers, is even more important because they're going to be the next generation. And so we can kind of cut off the, the victim blaming and the toxic masculinity right now so that it doesn't hurt our future generations, even more than it did hurt this generation.
0: And so how do parents do that? How do parents help to stop the cycle of toxic masculinity and rape culture?
1: In terms of toxic masculinity, I think it's really important to teach, um, especially young boys, that they don't need to try to achieve the unattainable standards that society can set in terms of physical strength or anything sexual and that whatever whatever standards they can get to, that's enough. And that they don't need to they don't need to have these expectations because that's really when toxic masculinity is cultivated. And then another factor is also consent and mm-hmm. teaching that from from a really young age and not expecting that kids will learn it in high school because by then it's too late in a lot of cases.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think like what I notice is when sexual assaults happen, people tend to blame their parents Well, they raise them like this. But I think a lot of times it's more of a lack of conversation around it. Like they never talked about consent with their kids. They never talked about sexual assault. Um, they never talked about toxic masculinity. So it's not that they're at home saying you need to be like this and do that and go have sex and you know, it's not necessarily coming from the parents, but as parents, you can't just not talk about it either.
1: In addition to to parents not talking about it, just like we don't assume that, that parents will teach their kids how to read, I think the the ownership or some of the ownership needs to be on the education system itself. And I think that's why consent should be taught in the schools, even at the kindergarten level, not in terms of, of sex and rape, but in terms of Things that kids will understand, like no means no, and you can't you can't pull someone's hair or something like that.
0: Yeah, that's key. I've seen some teachers who are kindergarten teachers, and they have as their kids come in the classroom, they choose if they want a hug, a handshake, or um, just a wave. And even that simple gesture, because there's some kids who don't want a hug from their teacher, um, begins to teach consent. You know, we just have to, as parents, for the parents listening, it's got to be a conversation. You have to start it with your kids. Don't assume that your son would never do that or your daughter would never do that. Um, If you don't talk with them and really make your values known and teach them all of these things, they don't just soak it up somewhere. Unfortunately, they do soak it up, I should say, elsewhere, and that's from like music lyrics and media and all the things that they're soaking in other places. I think that's probably where a lot of this toxic masculinity comes from. Do you guys think that's true? Like all the other factors, not just parents?
4: I definitely think that, yeah, this toxic masculinity is definitely romanticized, like in certain movies or TV shows, sometimes in books too. And I think this emphasis on like masculinity versus femininity is really like kind of emphasized even like in high school curriculum, like we kind of learn what masculine traits are, what feminine traits are. And we kind of discuss those two issues. So I think that as far as educating people about toxic masculinity, too, one thing is to avoid using really, like, gendered language, saying that, like, oh, this is for guys and this is for girls. And what
0: about music?
4: honestly i would say that those like ideals of toxic masculinity are very pervasive especially in some songs the language that's used is very like provoking and explicit especially around ideas of sexual assault or like creating the illusion of fertility or like just those kind of themes in general i think love is a very common theme of music and inevitably these Themes will show up like sexual assault and abuse and love, and so I think that that shows up very prominently in music as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting to me that even with my own kids who are definitely feminists, um, some of the songs that they listen to, like how can you listen to this and be a feminist? Because the you know you hear a lot about come sit on my lap or I'm not gonna ever let you go, and you know very objectifying and some. It's really, whether you believe that stuff or not, having that come into your mind and your soul on a regular basis is bound to affect you in some way.
1: I think a lot of of forms of media also idolize the perfect man and the perfect woman. And the perfect man is the complete opposite of the perfect woman. And so while the perfect man is is sexually aggressive, you would think of the perfect woman as, as sexually submissive. And so this kind of creates... Um, the idea that that one is superior to the other, and in this case, it would be the perfect man, is superior to the to the woman. Mm-hmm. And so I think just seeking out those forms of media that do promote the perfect man and woman, and then recognizing that and teaching your kids to recognize that, I think it's important.
0: As a parent, instead of having my kids turn off the music, I just talk about it. You know, let it start a discussion and, um, wow, I'm noticing this, or so that's not cool that he's saying that. Uh, Because I know a lot of parents will just say, turn it off, but they're going to listen to it elsewhere. So I think we need to be mindful and have those discussions. Okay. So let's end on this note. If there is a teen who's listening to this, who has been sexually assaulted, what would each of you like to say to that person?
3: I think that I would say that it's scary and like you may feel alone, but it does get better. And It does get easier and that they'll be okay and to just find people around them who will support them and help them through it and to grow from it and that I mean they're just not alone
0: and Jackie with what you've gone through would you tell these people like report it to the police and take it to court and I know it's everybody has their own personal um, story and decision but what would you say
3: I mean, for me and in my situation, it's been three years and I'm still waiting for, like, to go to trial and for all that stuff to still happen. So I think in every situation, it's different, but the justice system is unfortunately not really, like, in favor or, like, not really good at protecting victims through it or getting justice, especially if you're a minor. So I think, Just talk to people around you who may know something or go and talk to a victim advocate because they've really helped me figure out what's best for me in my situation.
0: And I think, you know, we have to, if this is something that's happened to you and you're listening, um, your bravery is going to be your own story and your own path. For Jackie, it was taking it to court and talking to the school about it. For you, it might be not doing that. And just leaning on the people around you for support. There's no right or wrong way to do it. It's um, what you have to do for yourself. And just know that don't be pushed into anything that um, isn't what you want because this is your journey and your path. Would anybody else like to say anything?
1: I think I would say to, to any survivors listening that what happened doesn't define you. And that's why it's so important that we use the word survivor instead of victim. Because when you use the word victim, then it implies that that's all that the person is. But I think there are ways for you to, to show or for you to just feel like that that's not all that you are. And I think that's important to recognize.
2: Something that I wish that I was told was whatever happened, whatever happened, the clothes, either if you were intoxicated, anything, it doesn't define you and it's not your fault. I think so many people blame themselves, and it's really important to just not blame yourself for it.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of shame and blame that come with it, and this is for um, survivors of any age, whether you're an 8-year-old or you're a 50-year-old. We have to keep that in perspective. It wasn't the um, survivor's fault, and we can remember this as supporters too, but um, if it happens to you, it can be difficult to push those feelings aside. But I think that is such a key point, Isabel. Thank you for that. Nathan, would you like to say anything?
4: Um, I definitely would like to say that it's not your fault too. It's never your fault. And also I think just letting them know that you have support, you are valued and things will get better.
0: Thank you to all of you for lending your voice to this discussion and being so open and vulnerable. Um, Your insight is invaluable. And to parents who are listening, We've got some work to do. We're so glad you joined us for this episode. Whether you are an adult or a teen, it's always amazing what we can learn just by listening. If you would like more information on TeenWise and the resources and programs available, we invite you to visit us at TeenWiseSeattle.com. If you're a parent in need of more support, join our Facebook group at TeenWise Parents. We hope to see you over there.